This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. Uh, let's use our imagination for a second. Imagine, if you will, a husband at the kitchen counter making a sandwich. Maybe it's peanut butter and jelly. Maybe it's peanut butter and mayonnaise. Maybe it's tuna fish. Maybe it's, maybe it's bacon. And he is making this sandwich. There's no kids anywhere. It's just he. And then she senses, he senses her presence. Her glory fills the room. Her beauty ever so present. He knows that she is there. But he continues to make his sandwich until all of a sudden he senses her snuggle up next to his side. She wraps his arm around his waist. She places her hand upon his chest. She puts her chin upon his shoulder, her lips ever so close to his ears. Isn't it time, she says? He stops with the peanut butter and the mayonnaise. She whispers up into his ear, ever so close. Isn't it time, baby? He turns to her. She turns to him. They embrace each other. She's looking up into his longing eyes. He's looking into her longing eyes. Isn't it time to get out the Christmas decorations? Yes, it's time. He makes his way out into the garage. He pulls down the steps that lead up into the attic where all the Christmas lights are. He makes his way up into the attic. What does he do first? What does he do first? As he gets up into the attic, what's the first thing that he does? Hold on to that. Perhaps the garage needs to be cleaned. Perhaps the garage needs to be cleaned. Maybe there's tubs that need to be organized and all the accumulation of fall and garbage, whatever it might be. Perhaps someone's decided it's time to clean the garage. What do they do first before they can clean the garage? They need to do what? They need to... Another situation, perhaps it's a surgeon and he has someone dying upon the table. It's a serious cardiac situation and they need dire help and there's an entire team around them and he is getting ready, scalpel in hand and he's all suited up and ready to go. But before he makes the incision, he adjusts one more thing one more time so that he can proceed. What does he do first? The first thing. I want to talk to you about that first thing this morning. Before anything else can happen, because we're moving into a season of preparation. But before you can move into the preparation, you need to be prepared to prepare. There's something you need to do first. You need to know how to turn on the light. Yeah. In fact, in the midst of darkness and doubt, in the midst of frustration and pain and suffering, in the darkest of night, how do we know that it's time for the day? What do we see rising above the horizon? The light begins to shine. Let's talk about first things before we do anything else this Advent season. Let's talk about what it means to turn on the light. Many of us, if you're a little bit like me, need a guide to move forward well. If we don't turn on the light, we're left kind of stubbing our pinky toe upon reality and crashing our forehead into the door jam of pain and suffering. And many of us will miss Christmas and Advent. We'll miss all that it's supposed to be if you don't know how to turn on the light. So what does that mean? How can 
we get into Advent well? How can we get our family to Christmas well? There's a couple characters in the beginning of Luke's gospel that might be very helpful. One of them doesn't help at all. That's Mary. I struggle with Mary. I have a hard time with Mary. I can't relate to Mary. Mary and I have very little in common, okay? Mary is the kind of person that in the room, she and I would struggle because she would just exude the presence of God all the time. And I struggle. Sure enough, the angel shows up to a 13-year-old girl. Hey, you're gonna be pregnant with a child. I've never known a man. That's okay, God's gonna do it. Oh, whatever God wants, that's fine, let's do that. Whatever God wants. If God wants me to be pregnant, through some miraculous means, I'll be ostracized by my family. I might be kicked out of the town. I'll probably be on the run as a single mother my entire life. I will know suffering and hardship and pain. If that's what God wants, I am God's servant. I can't relate to that. That one's a tough one for me. But parallel to Mary's story is another person that I know is not a part of your Advent Christmas crush design. You probably have a Joseph. You probably have a Mary. You have shepherds and you might have some wise men that you put there far too early. But I bet you you don't have a guy named Zechariah. There's no Zechariah in my nativity set. No, but without Zechariah, there's no nativity. Zechariah is a man that I can relate to a lot. And maybe this morning, you can relate to as well. Because Zechariah is a man who almost missed it because he didn't know what came first. And God had to help him get ready so that he and his family could help others get ready. So if you haven't yet, find Luke. Luke's gospel, and look at chapter 1. Let me give you a little background on Zechariah as you're finding Luke 1. Zechariah is a pastor. He is one of the shepherds of Israel, part of the priestly family of Levi, the line of Aaron. He is one of the many who serves to help keep Israel in covenant relationship with God. He teaches in the synagogue. He counsels out of his home. He's a pastor. He's a priest. And he's struggling because he is a pastor in a nation that's oppressed. Rome occupies. The Roman Empire rules the day and rules the space. And his people are oppressed. They are heavily taxed. And many of the religious leaders within his community are in cahoots and have become political players and pawns in Rome's empire. Israel, if you will, is one giant jail cell. And the Roman Empire holds the key to the dungeon. It's spiritually and emotionally dark. Death and mourning are all too common. They live in a state of constant war with themselves and with conquerors. Losing and being lost is just normal. And the old promises of deliverance, 400 years old, are all but removed and outdated. So no one would fault this old pastor, priest, for struggling to see to believe when all is evil. But God has bigger plans for Zechariah. He's just not ready for them. Part of his responsibility is that throughout the course of the year, his district that he lives in has to serve a rotation at the temple. There's so many priests part of the priestly line that they can, if you will, take, all right, it's this county's turn to go to the tabernacle. It's this, it's this, this county's turn to go and serve at the temple mount. And so what he will do and what others do is when it's his turn, his rotation, his family will move into uh, living quarters on the temple mount and he will serve there. He will help with cleaning and he will help with tending and he'll offer classes and counseling. He'll work in the temple mount. He'll help with sacrifices. But for a very, very few will be selected to actually go into the Holy of Holies 
and make a special offering before the Lord to burn incense. The nature of rotation, the nature, the numbers of them. You might, you might not do this, but once in your life, this is an incredible privilege and honor to be able to go into the Holy of Holies to make this sacrifice, to burn incense before the Lord in sacred space. And he has been selected for this incredible honor to go into the Holy of Holies. He is a man whom he might have thought his life was going to go in a different direction. He and his wife have no children. He does not have a son or sons to pass on the Levitical responsibility. The next generation of shepherds before the Lord who will work at the temple. They prayed. They prayed. Oh, they prayed for children. Good parents, godly parents. But no child ever came. And it's probably been decades since that prayer was ever uttered. After all, why would a man and a woman in their later years ask for a child? And so perhaps a little forlorn and the weight of the Roman garrison surrounding the temple and everything else that's wrong with the world, heavy upon his shoulders, he carries a bowl of incense up the steps into the temple, through the great massive doors beyond the great pillars, into what is the Holy of Holies, to make this one-time, lifetime burning of incense before God. He's uttering the prayers. The choir is singing behind him. They're offering the prayers. Proudest moment of his life, highlight of his life, until all of a sudden he hears a voice in front of him. Now, it's okay to hear voices behind you because that's where the choir is and that's where all the priests are and that's where all the action's happening. You're not supposed to hear a voice in front of you because that's God's space. That's the most holy space. No voices come from that part. And you can imagine the pause and the lurch upon his face when all of a sudden a voice speaks to him from the front and he opens and he looks and beholds a great angel in front of him next to the altar of incense. That's not supposed to be there. Let me read for you what happens next. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 12. Luke chapter 1, verse 12. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. The angel, he, he, the fear fell upon him. But the angel said, do not fear, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You will call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will be go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah said to the angel, um, how will I know this? I'm old. My wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you'll be silent, unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Zechariah's minding his business. He's doing his work. He's doing life to the best of his ability. One day after the other, as best as he can in his trade, in his situation. And then God bursts in. Hey, we're going to do something now. And I want you to be a part of it. We're going to get a people prepared. The story is moving forward. But Zechariah was not ready. Are you ready? Are you ready for what God wants to do next? 
Are you prepared for what might happen as you turn the page of life? God invites Zechariah to be a part of the advanced team. And he says, we're far too advanced. We're too old. I stopped praying that prayer decades ago. That prayer never got answered. Why would it get answered now? I've moved on. She's moved on. He cannot see what God wants to do. It's too dark for him. He's stumbling through the night. He's stumbling through the cold. He doesn't have that first thing. God's inviting him to prepare, but spiritually he's stumbling. And Gabriel said, it's because you don't believe. So let's talk about belief this morning. Let's talk about faith. Let me give you a heads up. I'm going to talk a lot and you're not going to write anything down. Okay? And then all of a sudden I'm going to give you a lot of things to write down real fast at the end. So I just want you to be emotionally ready. Because you're like, he's been going for 15 minutes and we haven't filled in anything. What is he going to do? So I'm just giving you a heads up. I'm gonna, it's going to be like a real long introduction and like a two-minute sermon. Okay? Does that make sense? So just be ready. So shake it. You got the notes there. You might, you might hear something that you might want to write down just to help you remember. But bear with me. Stay with me. Terry will be okay. You'll have lunch. We'll be fine. I promise. Okay? Okay? But let's talk about the first thing before we get to the Advent stuff or we won't be able to do Advent. Okay, we good? Good? Dylan, we good? All right, buddy. Dawson, solid? Solid. His hand was higher. You win. Okay. Faith is. Faith is. Let's talk about what faith is. We need to go to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Let's unpack faith so that we can then be ready to enter into Advent together. Faith is. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Ryan's got it ready for you. Now, faith is, that's important because we're believers, right? Like, faith's our thing. That's our jam. If we should know anything, it's about what faith is, right? Here's the interesting thing. If you were to pull down my big expensive dictionaries in my office and you look up faith, faith is, definition, faith is believing. Not helpful. Not helpful. So let's let the Bible define it. What does it say? Faith is assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. Let's take those four things apart real quick this morning. Assurance. That word assurance is used to describe title on a property. It's a deed that's been filed. It's saying, I'm buying that. When my wife and I moved to Troy seven years ago, we went through the housing market. We selected a house. We met with the realtor. We had in our hand possession of the title before we moved into the house. Had the title, then moved into the house. We are moving into that story. We're moving into that place. To have faith is something to be filed. Baptism embodies this. When someone is baptized, it is a declaration against all the forces that be. It's a putting down of a flag that's saying, I'm buying into Jesus' story. I'm doing that. I'm a part of that narrative. Faith is something that you file. It's an assurance. It's a giving into that thing. Zechariah can't look beyond his own story, let alone buy into what God wants to do. The assurance of things hoped for. That means that faith looks forward. Faith is filed. Faith looks forward. I was feeling very Baptist this week. They all start with the letter F. Okay? Okay? Faith looks forward. Christian faith involves looking to what God is going to do. It goes beyond our lives and speaks into the greater story. And Zechariah is invited into this. Gabriel uh, walks him through the things that are going to happen that have been a part of God's story of restoration and reclamation from the beginning. And Zechariah's son is going to announce these things. In fact, that whole exchange that I just read for you, Gabriel's unpacking biblical promise after biblical promise. It's prophetic passage after prophetic passage laced with a whole lot of royal promises. Before a king would walk into town, what would he do? He would have a, he'd have a herald go ahead. Hey, king's coming. Let's get ready. King's coming. Hark the 
herald angel. What are they doing? They are proclaiming the king is coming. Faith is about looking forward to what God is going to do. If you were to continue in that chapter, in Hebrews chapter 11, it is one story of faith after another. There's a story about Abel and Enoch. There's a story about Moses and Abraham and Sarai and, and Samuel and David and person after person after person after person who did not receive in their lifetime the specific promise of God, but looked forward to God's fulfillment. In Hebrews eleven thirteen to 16, let me just read it for you. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of the land which they had gone out, they had the opportunity to return, but as it is, they desired a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Faith looks forward. It can look through the broken, cracked windows of reality, smeared with pain and suffering, and see the sunrise coming up on the other side. Despite what things are, this is what God is going to do. Faith looks forward. The assurance of things hoped for, conviction Convicting evidence, it's a, it's a legal term, it's a courtroom term. When something is being brought to light in the courtroom. Faith is not blind. Biblical faith is not blind. God does not ask you to trust blindly. He gives you evidence upon evidence upon evidence of what he does and how he does it. So what? The attorney comes before the jury and the judge and he lays out, here's the evidence. Here are the witnesses. Here's the stories. Here's the proof. This happened at this place at this time and this person saw it. Faith is fueled by evidence. Shrek and donkey, the monkeys, they had it right. I saw her face. Now I'm a believer. Dude, that one should have hit all generations. You guys were slow on the uptick on that one. Come on. Then I saw her face. Now I'm a Thank you. Oh, good. Good, yeah. I saw, then I believed. Faith must be fueled. Fun fact. Gabriel comes to Zechariah and tells Zechariah nothing he shouldn't have already known. He's a pastor. He's a priest. He's got these books. He's got these scrolls. Gabriel wasn't making stuff up. Gabriel was not telling him anything new. These are old promises and old passages written in the Old Testament. Gabriel's just bringing them forward. What about that whole piece? Yeah, but, you know, what about this old couple who's going to have a baby? Like, Zach, Zach, your whole faith stems from a really old man and a really old woman who God said is going to have a baby. Z was not told anything new. Faith has to be fueled. The conviction of things not seen. Faith has a spiritual faculty about it. The Apostle Paul said that we walk by faith, not by sight, meaning the physical world. A follower of Jesus Christ, someone who has faith, ought to have the capacity to see beyond the veil to what God is doing and what God wants to do, not getting hung up on the things in front of them. And yet, what does Zechariah struggle with? A people overwhelmed by the Roman Empire. A spiritual depravity that sickens him inside. The promise that he's going to have a kid. Like, we're old. We don't have no kids. We stopped that prayer a long time ago. He could not see past the physical. 
to discern the spiritual reality. Because there's something else about faith I need you to notice this morning. Faith can falter. Faith can fail. Zechariah said, we're advanced in years. We don't pray like that anymore. We don't talk like that anymore. We're just, we're just trying to get through. He doesn't see because he doesn't believe. The Apostle Paul warns those who have walked away from the faith, those who have shipwrecked their faith, those who have abandoned their faith, can you relate? At one time, you'd filed the paperwork. I'm following that guy. And you were on fire, and you were going, and you were singing, and you were preaching, and you were doing. You were on fire for the Lord, and then life happens. And maybe that flame did not get fueled the way it needed to be. And instead of looking forward, you started to look to the left or look to the right. Instead of seeing by faith, you saw by sin and you saw by what is physical. And if an angel himself stood in front of you and said, this is what God wants to do, you'd be like, not a chance. Not in my life. Faith can falter. Faith can fail. The once vibrant torch has all but gone out. And things are getting dark. What does a devoted father do in that moment? What does a devoted father do that sees his loved one overcome by fear and dark and night? What does a good dad do in that moment? Now he's leaving. Focus, Lance. What does a good father do? He gives him a light. He gives him something to focus on. So that child can move forward. But do you know what makes a human focus like nothing else? Do you know how to really get a human's attention? The angel said to him, Behold, you will be silent, unable to speak, until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe. So he's disabled, he's crippled, he's benched. He's a preacher talking, that's his gig. He's a, he's a shepherd in his community. He, he teaches classes at the synagogue. He preaches on Saturday morning. He has people over to his house to give them counsel. He reads to them the Psalms. He recites before his family. Talking is his thing. That's what he does. Don't take my wife. 
Don't take my kids. Father, don't take my voice. That's, that's what I do. That's who I am. But to bring faith, the Father has to bring focus. He walks out of the Holy of Holies in the temple. He walks down the steps. They can see that he's forlorn. They can see that something is not quite right. He's overcome and he can't talk. I mean, he can't talk. You give a preacher an audience, you know what he's going to do? He's going to talk, man. He can't say anything. An hour turns into an evening, turns into a day, turns into a week, turns into another week, turns into another week. I want to speculate a little bit. Don't do that. Just give me the word. Back off. Let me fill in the gaps a little bit. Because he's going to do something in a few months. Which means some things have to happen between here and there. And if I were Z, this is what I would have done. I've been Z. This is what I did. Okay? When God said it was time to focus, when it's time to find faith again. If you were he, what would you do? You'd go for a lot of long walks. You sit up late at night. You walk by the church. You spend a lot of quiet times. And then after enough time, you see that scroll over there on the counter. You see that Bible, which up to that point, you'd kind of done that because you're ticked. And then you start to open it again. And you start to flip through it again. And then something starts to happen. You start to remember some of the things that you'd forgotten Things that you knew were there, but needed to be reminded. You start reading about a God over all creation. You start reading about a God who brought forth people out of Exodus. You read about a God who instilled a king who he gave a promise to and said, I will always put someone of your line upon the throne. He will be my king forever. You read the words of the prophets and tears start to come down your face. As God begins to put the pieces back together again. And you can't speak. You can't. And so you go for more walks and you start reflecting more and you start praying more and you start wrestling more as all of these pieces start to come together again. You read about hope and you read about peace and you read about love and you read about forgiveness and you start to weep over the scrolls as you open them up. You come to maybe Malachi and you start in Malachi. He says, behold, I will send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you, you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming. And you keep reading in Malachi and you read this. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great awesome day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And Zechariah's looking at the scrolls and he goes to the temple and he reads the scrolls and he goes to his house and he's reading the scrolls and he's weeping and his pregnant wife walks in and he's like, that's what God said. God told me that he was gonna do that. And he's looking at the Psalms, that's what God promised. And then Mary walks in and everyone loves it when Mary shows up because she's always happy. 14-year-old bundle of joy with a bun in the oven. 
Because then Mary starts to say everything that God told her. Hey, an angel showed up to me, and guess what he said? He says, I'm bearing the Son of God, and he will set his people free. And then Zechariah's like, that's what it says. It says. He can't tell anyone, but he's, he's pointing, he's looking, and he's looking. And month turns into month, turns into six months, turns into eight months, turns into nine months. And Elizabeth's like, boy, it's time. And the whole city gathers together and Zechariah still can't speak. But there has been a flame that's been lit inside of his soul. Because faith needed to be fueled. And they're gathering around Elizabeth. She's pushing and everyone's shouting. And all of a sudden this baby comes forth and there is celebration. He still can't say anything. And the naming comes. And they're like, we're going to call him Zechariah, right? We're going to call him Zechariah. Mom's like, uh-uh, that's John. Like, what? I know John in your family. No, John. Zechariah. This is Zechariah. This is young Zechariah because this is about God fixing your story. And Elizabeth's like, no, 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 no. This is about God fixing our story. This is John. No, and everyone starts to look at Zechariah, big Z. And they're like, not, Ze- not, not John, right? And he starts writing John. <laughs> it's, it's John. It's John. And everyone looks. His name is John. He hasn't spoken months. This is John. As the holy flame of God comes to fruition in his prophet. And there is celebration and there is singing. Let me read for you what happens next. This is in Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 80. Maybe you can hear in this passage nine months of a man struggling with his faith and looking for answers and God and his promise making good. Luke chapter 1, verse 67 And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. He prophesied. He's preaching again. He's preaching again, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. Maybe he picks up his son and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness, in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. We're going to anchor ourselves in this passage for Advent. It's a passage of a man who was brought on a journey, who learned how to put faith first. And from faith, everything else can flow. Notice an important word that comes at the beginning of the passage and at the end of the passage. It's in chapter 68, I mean, verse 68. Blessed be the Lord. God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Look at verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. God's visiting? Like my in-laws? At Christmas? Because they pop in for a bit, dirty the dishes, make a mess, criticize my cooking and leave. God's visiting? What does that mean? Here, the word visit, it means that God has come to shine a light on a situation 
to look after someone, to bring divine help. In the same way a paramedic might show up at an accident, I'm here, we're going to do this together. And the warm sun shining after a cold, dark night. What Z had, many of us have, darkness, corruption, sin, endless mourning. The world falls apart. And God says, I'm coming to visit. So, quickly in your notes, you ready? You ready? Lance, you ready? Mom's going to look at it afterwards. Just giving you a heads up, man. What happens when God visits? What does Jesus bring with him? What can I expect if I go first with faith this Christmas season? If I lead my family in faith, with faith, what does Jesus bring when he visits? First, when Jesus visits, we discover hope in the dark. Write that down. Hope in the dark. It says this in verse 78 and 79 of Zechariah's message. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise will visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness, the shadow of death. Faith in Jesus enables me to know the path forward. We're going to do a deep dive into hope next week as we begin the Advent season. Faith and hope, they're divinely linked. You can't separate them. John Bunyan said, as your faith is, such your hope will be. Hope is never ill when faith is well, nor strong if faith be weak. Faith is how I look forward. Hope is what I'm looking at. Faith in Jesus brings me hope. Do you have hope? Do you have hope? But there's more. When Jesus visits, we discover love for the sinful. Write it down. Love for the sinful. Zechariah's son will rise up to proclaim that the king has come. To do what? To do what? Verse 76 and 77. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. The king is coming to defeat sin and defeat death. Jesus, throughout his earthly ministry, what do we see him doing? Confronting sin, confronting death. He's healing a blind person. He's forgiving the adulterous woman. He's raising up people that society had forsaken and forgotten. He's launched a kingdom movement of reclamation and restoration. It's love for the forsaken and the forgotten. That's what Jesus brings. And there's more. It's like Oprah's Christmas special. <laughs> but biblical. When Jesus visits, we discover joy in our mourning. Joy in our mourning. He brings hope. He brings love. He brings joy in our mourning. Make sure you spell mourning correctly. It's not M-O-R. It's M-O-U-R. In Luke, in Luke 1, 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. This is a song. He's singing. He's proclaiming. There's rejoicing that's happening in this moment. And Rome is still on the throne. And the legions are still marching around. And there is still sin. And there is still death. The enemy still prowls the streets. This is not happiness. This is the divine ability to transcend that mourning to rise above in song. We're going to unpack one of the stories of Christmas that I bet you've never heard preached at a Christmas Eve service. Not really something that you lead off on when you're trying to bring guests in. It's the darkest moment of the Christmas story. It's a part of the Christmas story. The Magi have returned, and they did not go back to Herod to tell him where the baby was. And Herod's done with it. He's fed up. He will not be dethroned, debunked, and cast aside by some toddler in Bethlehem. And so he calls out the guard. And, well, an angel comes to Joseph and says, you need to get your family out of here now. 
while Joseph collects Mary and young Jesus, and they head out the back of Bethlehem. Through the front marches the temple guard, and they slaughter all the boys in the town. How about that Christmas music filling the city streets? As mothers and fathers wail over their butchered babies, boys. You see, that's the Christmas story. It's joy in mourning. In lamenting, in sadness, in grief, that we still get sick and we still die and we still lose and there's still disappointment. But faith, remember, looks through the shattered window of our reality to the sunrise that's rising on the other side so we can still sing. This is why Christian funerals are different, right? I was so grieved on Friday. I'm working through the message and we had the news on. I hate the news. And the networks were going through their Christmas specials and shopping list specials and best deal specials and best toy specials and this rockets were dancing and the bands were playing and the Christmas tree in New York City is getting lit up and everyone's like, this is, this, this is awesome. This is Christmas. Are we ready for Christmas? And I'm like, that's not Christmas. It's joy in the morning. It's a Jesus bursting through the tomb saying, I found death. I found sin. Let's go get him. Do you have joy? And when Jesus visits, we discover One more thing, peace through our war. Peace through our war. In Luke 1, 74 and 75, and then verse 79, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. The end of verse 79 that he would guide our feet into the way of peace. Peace. The way of peace, holiness, completion, Eden restored, his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's Easter morning. It's Jesus bursting forth in glory out of the tomb. This is where the story is going. It's the light of Jesus revealing the path of peace. We want peace, don't we? Not just the absence of war. That's what JFK said. Husband and wife, they can be not fighting. That does not mean that there's the presence of peace. The the face can be smiling. That does not mean that there's a presence of peace. Jesus has come to lead us into peace. Thomas Merton said, we are not at peace with others because we are not at peace with ourselves. We are not at peace with ourselves because we are not at peace with God. Do you have peace This is where we're going this Advent season. We'll come back to this passage. We'll come back to these points. We'll unpack each of them together. On the back of your notes, there's a list of what I'm just calling soul care questions. Soul care questions, because that's what I'm concerned about, the care of your soul. Not your body, not your spirit, not the whole thing together, your soul. I'm a doctor for the soul. Reflect on some of these questions. Here's one of the words that I just listed. Which one defines your life right now? Is it joy and peace and love and hope? Or do you feel more like it's dark and mourning and war and sin? Sit with that for a while. Here's another question. How can you this week join with Jesus to bring hope to others? 
Join him in his work that you see here. An important question to me, how can I help? How can I personally help you? That's why I'm here. A surgeon doesn't like getting to the table too late. How can we engage now? What are you wrestling with now? Where are you now? Where's faith now? You're like, Paul, I don't have hope, and I don't got joy, and I don't got love, and I sure don't have peace. Hmm, I think we need to talk about faith. Let's talk about faith. So whether that's writing out a connection card and like Adam said, leaving it on your seat, uh, getting hold of Vanessa, and, and let's schedule some time to sit down together. Just come up to me. Hey, Paul, can we talk? You know it. You know it. I do not want to talk about grandma's toenail. I want to talk about faith stuff. I don't want to talk about how you got a hangnail. I want to talk about how your faith's hung up. Okay? Let's get into that stuff. Oswald Chambers says, faith in God is a terrific venture in the dark. There's a holy storm that's coming, and it's awesome because God wants to burst through the darkness of your life. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for God to do something this season? Are you ready to move forward with the God of all creation and the God of exodus and the God of deliverance and hope? You look at that baby in the manger. He's a whole lot more than you realize. Thank you for sharing your time with us. And we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, Come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions.